You guys, I am so excited for season two of 20 Minutes with Bronwyn. I know that sounds kind of funny because I am Bronwyn, but I'm excited for 20 Minutes with myself. (laughs) But really, I'm excited for this season because it's affording me and affording us the ability to go deeper on stuff that I've been thinking about, I've been coaching about, I've been talking about, I've been teaching about. And one of the things that's got me real excited about this season is the conversation you're about to hear. You're about to meet Ben Kiker. I have known Ben for, I think, like almost 20 years, if I do the math, which is crazy. And he's one of my favorite people personally, but I got to know him in a professional context. He was one of the hottest CMOs in the Valley for business-to-business software companies. I worked with him at several different startups. He's just kind of one of those supernova human beings. But several years ago, he pivoted and became a coach. And you guys, the man was born to coach. Ben is a business coach helping businesses get more done and transform themselves. He's an executive coach. But even more interestingly, he's a recovery coach who specializes in helping people who have hit a wall because of addiction. And this conversation to me is one of the most delicious conversations I've had in a good long time. So get ready and drop into flow because Ben's about to teach you how to do that. And I'll see you at the end for a quick recap because, oh God, did I love this conversation. All right, here we go. Okay, so here's what I what I want to ask you, Ben, is I read a blog post of yours about letting go. Yes. And it came at this point in my life where I was agitated. I was frustrated and flustered for nonspecific unidentified reasons. And I got that email and I was like, holy shit, I think I need to let go. And I'm a pretty, you know, I'm kind of a hippie. People think I'm really casual and lazy and easygoing. I think I can't let go, Ben. What is this thing about letting go? Why is it like, what is, why is it the cornerstone of your practice? And like, how, how does one even begin to do that? Well, the, the first way that, that you begin to let go is by doing exactly what you've done right now, which is hitting the pause button and pulling up and saying, I need a different perspective. I am overly attaching to this situation. And you know you're overly attaching to a situation when, like, what's the difference between diligence and focus and commitment and interest and doggedness and white knuckling it? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm walking that line every freaking day of my life. Look, you and I are both very much wired to just GSD, just get shit done. And I think one of the leading indicators for you or for me that we're holding on to something too tight is when we feel that that effortless ability that we have to just move through the day in a very productive way that we're contributing, when we feel that that is grinding to a halt. And I suspect the day that you got my email and you read that blog post that you were feeling like things were grinding to a halt. And my grinding to a halt is weird. It doesn't look like, like I think there are some people whose personality type, maybe more type A than me, 
they're grinding to a halt because they're trying to get things done, but they can't. My grinding to a halt looks like I just fell into Facebook for 25 minutes and I don't know what happens. Like I blacked out and I woke up and an hour went by. And it's weird that my holding on too tight manifests as numbing out with social media. Sure. Is that a Be- because thing? You're, it, it is because you're uncomfortable in that moment and you're uncomfortable. And let me lay one other, one other thing on you is in that moment, you're not grounded. You're not regulated. You're not in the flow. That's right. And part of a big part of the coaching that I do is helping clients get back to that state where they are grounded, regulated, and in the flow. Because when I'm in the flow, I make, wait for it, more optimal decisions. Good choices are happening, <laughs> right? Good choices are happening. And I am GSD and all day all over long. Town. long. And, and but, but here's the most important part is it feels effortless. Easy. It's just happening. Yeah. It's easy, yeah. right? It's easy. And that's the thing I think in, I'm curious what your perspective is on this, but I feel like in our culture, we're raised with this notion of productivity as like just ticking through to-do lists, like no time wasted, just showing up with coffee and white knuckling it through the day. And I found that for me at least, and this was part of the joy of starting my own business and practice is that's not what my productivity looks like. Like I get into joy and I get more done in 90 minutes than most people do in six hours because I'm just, I'm Fraulein Marieing myself right Right. through an amazing amount of work. Right. And I think that I'm curious about your, your, perception of what you think the culture of productivity is versus what like real sustainable productivity looks like. So we have a huge challenge that we face right now. We live in an era of accelerated disruption and accelerated interruption. Mm. So just let that, let that sink in for a little bit. And so what happens as we go through the day is we're very prone to and suspect to getting distracted and getting interrupted. And so what we do is we start to hold on too tight. One of my favorite quotes, Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of the classic Treasure Island said, sit loosely in the saddle of life. Sit loosely in the saddle of life. And that resonates because you're a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're getting into the big story, the big, the big, the big. I, I know why he likes that quote. He's from Texas. Of course he likes that. Stereotypes. <laughs> so, so we got to learn how to sit loosely. And that's where I want to take us back to where we started. That's where letting go is so critical and so essential because when we're able to hit the pause button, to observe our thinking. Eckhart Tolle. Oh, huge fan. Huge fan. I know I'm a huge fan. Huge. Said the biggest thing we need to let go of is our thinking. We over identify with it. A hundred percent. And for those people who don't geek out on Eckhart Tolle like we do, what does it mean to identify with your thinking? Why is that problematic? What does that even mean? Can I give, can I share a story? Please. Because let me share a story because okay. I think it'll help. It'll help unclick for a little bit. Yeah. So, and by the way, the story involves you. Oh, it does? It does. I love Is that good? That Is that me? good? <laughs> All right, here we go. So we have a natural set of 
internal and external resources that we bring to bear in all that we do. Okay, natural and set of internal, external, internal and external okay, resources. I got you. Right? Yep. you. By the way, you are one of my external resources, and I got a lot of great, good internal resources as well. Right. And I think of them as all sitting around a conference room table. And at the very end of that conference room table, trying to hide out is my insane thought generator, <laughs> which sits across the table from my insane story generator. And all day long, these two go back and forth. The insane thought generator will toss something over to the insane story generator, which says, just give me one more thing. I just need one more, one more, one more, one more. And it gets one more nugget. I'll be right back. And then it leaves and it crafts a narrative, which is often a conspiracy. <laughs> and then, true? and then, but wait, and then here's what happens. It serves it up to me and says, little boy, want to read a book? There's a piece of candy inside. And if I'm not grounded, regulated, and in the flow, I'll go, yes, please. I'll and then I sink, I'll have, I'll sink my teeth into it. And then that's when I am getting out of the flow. Okay. So the, I love the insane thought generator, insane story generator so much. I, in fact, Ben, this just happened to me on Friday. I had the great blessing of receiving a massage in Sonoma on Friday. Oh. Like what, what, like how good could that possibly get? And I'm on the massage table and I'm insane thought generator starts. And I'm like, Bronwyn, you are the only person I know that would start having an insane thought, insane story generator. And basically the thoughts were, oh, look at you, privileged, privileged lady on this massage table. Like there's people out there hustling, single moms. I bet you they'd love a massage. Huh? How you like it? How you like your massage? Fancy. <laughs> and I start. You're being like, hijacked. I mean, you're being hijacked. So ben, you're being hijacked. How do you get the little boy? You know, I'm visualizing like a meme from the movie It, like the clowns underneath the, uh, the sub. I the do street. not like clowns. Bro. I don't either. I've never I seen the movie. Like, I, I do not book. like clowns. But like, how do you make sure that your little boy or little girl in my case is grounded enough to be like, I'm not taking that book. I'm, I'm not, not reading that I'm story. Not, I'm not taking the bait. I'm not taking the bait. So part of it starts with how do you get in the flow? Mm, I have a whole ritual for getting into flow. I do too. And by the way, it is shocking yeah. how many people, even athletes that we see all the time who are super talented. When I sit down with them and say, how do you get in the flow? How do you get in the, what do they, they don't know. They don't know. Oh. Often for some of us, yeah. we just click into that gear. Yeah. But here's why. And we cross our fingers and hope it comes. And hope it comes. But, but this is why really understanding, and again, this is part of the coaching work that I do, yeah. is helping clients identify what does it mean to get in the flow for you? Because once you understand what that is, then that becomes a resource that you can call on so that at the table. in that moment at the table when you're getting hijacked, then you know, hold on, wait a minute, let me hit the pause button, let me pull up, and then utilize my resources to get back in the flow. I love that. And so for people that are listening that A, have a vague understanding of what flow is, one time I asked this in a workshop, like when I say flow, what do I mean? And somebody said, you mean like water? I'm like, no, I don't mean like freaking water. How do you define it? So here's how I define it. I define it as I'm not being pulled and I'm not being pushed. 
It simply happens. So I have part of my getting in the flow involves my morning practice. Yes. And I, I absolutely believe now the single two most important hours of the day, the first hour when I wake up and the last hour before I go to bed, how I enter the day and how I set my intention for the day is absolutely critical. And when I do my morning practice, and I just wrote a blog about my morning it. practice. Thank you. So good. Thank it, you. And you're going to tell us your morning practice, right? I will. And okay. by the way, and it evolved. It yeah. evolved from what yeah. it started being. Yeah. But when I take that time in the morning, it's just so essential to helping me get in the flow. And what will happen is during that 15-minute practice, mm -hmm. one of the other resources that I have, internal resources, is... I can process a lot of information in the background. So this very cool thing happens that I'm doing my morning practice and this background processing is offering up to me ideas, areas to focus on. Inspiration. Inspiration for the day, of, for the day ahead. All because I simply took the time to hit the pause button and not immediately pick up my instant electronic device, also known as my iPhone. That's right. Also the source of insane thought generation and insane story. Like I feel like the phone and the IS, what are the acronyms? The insane story generator. ISG and the phone, I think somehow have some sort of like. They do. They have a, they have a, they have a affiliation program between the two of them because especially they, they with work, the they, news. They, they work well together. Yeah. They, they work really well do. together. They're, they seem tight. They seem tight. So what you're saying is I love this idea. There's so much about what you said that I love. One of the things I love about what you said is how you're honoring the fact that your personality that loves to absorb inspiring content in the form of meditations or just whatever that ritual is, your personality is, is such that when you're absorbing great stuff, you come up with great stuff. And you've, Correct. you've placed that in your assets category, Correct. in your internal assets category. That is one of my internal resources. That's one of mine too. When I, when I am doing that, yeah. that inspiration comes to me. L look, I want to share one other thing. I want to make sure that I get this out before Please. I forget. You and I yeah. are in the transformation business. Yes, we are, Ben. And people reach out to you and people reach out to me not to take a small incremental step, but they reach out because they're looking to make, have a profound shift that can lead to lasting change. That's what a transformation is. That's what a transformation is. And part of that transformation is setting ourselves up in a way that these incredible assets and strengths that we have that are part of our authentic self, which you have referred to before as big you. Which I also stole from Eckhart Tolle. Which you all, <laughs> <laughs> all roads lead back, basically. All roads go back to Eckhart. Um, that's where that emanates from, right? That's where that emanates from. Can I also want to share, though, the story about you and oh, my yes. insane thought generator and my insane story generator oh. before I forget. Oh, God. Okay? Oh, God. So about a year ago, you may not even remember this, about a year ago, I started to email my blogs to folks in my contact list. And I got an auto response back from you, email, that said... <laughs> I think you're starting to remember this now. I think so. That said, hey, I get a lot of email. 
I can't kind of like personally respond to everything. And by the way, if you need this, go here. And I can't take clients for this, but call these and all this stuff listed. So I get that and I go, wow, Bronwyn's got a lot going on. So my my insane thought generator, I'm very busy. my insane thought generator tosses a nugget over to my insane story generator that says, she is crushing it, <laughs> crushing it. And then my insane story generator says, just give me one more thing, just one more thing. And then my insane thought generator says, are we crushing it? <laughs> it gets, it got the scorecard out. Oh, we need to talk about the scorecard. We got to talk about the scorecard. Yeah, it really got the do. scorecard out. And so it tosses that over to my insane story generator that says, I'll be right back. <laughs> and then it comes back with a following narrative. Bronwyn is in an entirely different league from you. <laughs> she, I hope you remember the last time that the two of you had lunch together, which I do, by the way, it I was in Il <laughs> in downtown Palo Alto. <laughs> We'll when I started, I when I started my business, and thank you, by the way, for your guidance and inspiration for me oh, in that God. moment. There's nothing. Remember that moment because you'll never have another one with her again, <laughs> and you'll never hear her voice again. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. So, that is a real life example of how that of gets my, out of, of hand. how that works. Yes. And I'll tell you when I share that construct yeah. with clients yeah. of the insane thought generator and the insane story generator. And the, I need one more thing. And, and I I'll just be need right one back. more and I'll be right back. Just one more. One, I'll be right back. It clicks. People get it. And then that brings us back to where we started with the Eckhart Tolle quote of the biggest thing that we need to let go of is our thinking. And when I share that example and that construct, you see, I get it. You I see it. so clearly. You see so clearly. And so I want to close on the story. Yes, 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 please. So I am like holding on to this. It was one of these days where I just, it was a tough day, Bronwyn. Yeah. It was a tough yeah. day. It is hard when I you was, get started. It, it, is, it is. I literally started with a blank sheet of paper doing what I'm doing today, literally a blank sheet of paper. And it was a tough day. And I latched on to this narrative. And I remember one of the things that I did when I hit the pause button and pulled up is I actually called you and I left you a voicemail. And I said, you are going to have no, you have no idea what crazy story I'm buying into right now. And Literally, I think you must have pulled over on the side of the road from whatever you were going to I and from to. Did. And you sent me the most amazing text message. <laughs> and then this is the best part. This is the best part. And at the end, you said, I'm launching a podcast. And you absolutely, positively must join me on my podcast. Isn't that amazing? And here we are today. But that took a moment of vulnerability for you to be like, I'm going to own my crazy and just fly it right out on the flagpole and it, see who salutes. Fly it. And that, I think that is so hard. It's so, it's what Brene Brown calls excruciating vulnerability, mm. right? Mm. Which is huge. But really quick to just go back and I, you know, who knows if this will make the final cut, but I just want to acknowledge yeah. when I started coaching too, I had that blank paper vibe too. And I just want you to know that I, I see you, I've been there. 
And I want to high five you because your shit is good. Oh my God. Thank you. Like that white paper became something really powerful, really powerful. So talking about excruciating vulnerability, talking about owning your insane story generator and then are saying it out loud to another person, especially about whom the story is. Yes. So fucking bold and amazing, but it makes me think about the bold and amazing part of your business that we haven't talked about, which is recovery coaching. So not only do you do business coaching for companies to get more done, get shit done and be more fabulous, you do executive coaching, but you also do recovery coaching. Yes, That is some next level shit, Ben. (laughs) First of all, how did that come to be and how is it different from regular coaching? Great, great question. So here's how it came to be. I am an EIR, executive in recovery. Wow. Let that sit in for a little bit. So typically in in the Valley, when you say EIR, entrepreneur and residence, now, now, now now I I got got it. Ding, ding. That kind of EIR. Yeah. I am an executive in recovery. I am in recovery. And I am pleased to share with you that I'm sitting across the table from you today just over five and a half years clean and sober. Amazing. So I just want to say, and I don't know if this is okay to say, but I'm going to fucking say it. Just do it. I worked with you for years. Yeah. Never in my wildest. Like there are there are guys I've worked with where I'm like, you're, you're heading somewhere. I never, and not good. I never once been, would have even have guessed. Like, what is that? There you go. How did it all, tell me, are we allowed to talk about this? Yes, absolutely. I am out loud and proud as someone in recovery because we got to do it. We got to do it. We have to end the stigma around this disease and it is a chronic disease. The good news is it is a treatable chronic disease, but it is a disease. Look, here's the Reader's Digest version of my story, right? For me, for a long time, for a long time, the breaks, if you were, so I would drink, I would occasionally do drugs, yeah. but the breaks were always my career. Right, right. It was always work. And by the way- And that's true for, for many, a lot of people. That's true for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We will protect that above all else. Right. And by the way, for close family and friends, they were starting to see- a few things that people at work were not starting to see, but we protect that above all else because that was the essence of my identity, being a kick-ass Silicon Valley CMO, getting shit done, leading companies through transformation. I mean, I remember at one of the companies we worked at, which I won't name because I don't have permission, but the CEO literally got on stage at like some big kickoff. It's like everybody in the company was there. And the CEO stands on stage and he's, it's like in January and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Santa Claus brought me the greatest gift I've ever gotten. He brought me Ben Kiker. Oh, I literally- <laughs> Do you remember that? I, I do remember that. I do remember that. And I also remember thinking at that time, that is my self-appraisal for the year. What that's, do you mean that by that? Statement, that statement. Me, to, to have the CEO oh say, I don't need to turn in anything no, else. I'm done. I just need, I'm, I'm done. done. Here it is. Thank Let you me very write much, it down. And gentlemen. On January the 4th at <laughs> 9.17 a.m., 
Pacific time. You yeah. took to the stage. Yes. You took to the stage. You were a grown man CEO of a publicly traded company's best Christmas gift he ever got. Anyway, that's a long way to say, not only did you protect your career, your career was thriving. It was, it was, it was going up into the right. So let me, let me share what happened. And this sort of leads to the recovery coaching part and what I do today, helping other executives high performers, athletes who are experiencing a similar situation that I did. So I finally reached a point where I knew that I needed to get help. And I hit the pause button and I went to a 30-day treatment program. And when I was in that treatment program, I was the best little rehabber like i sat in the front row i'm gonna crush it i've got my book i'm writing things down don't you know who i am i'm the get shit done guy and i came back and 72 hours after i got home i relapsed oh shit you're kidding and i am working for a very hot in the spotlight startup And I was crushed and I fell into what today I can look back now on and call the single most debilitating period of fear in my entire life. I woke up every morning saying the following, I am going to lose my job today. I will never work in this town again. Any success that I had had nothing to do with me. My partner, now husband, will leave me. Our friends will abandon me. We'll lose all that we work for. That literally was the narrative that I woke up with every day of my life. And I went to work and I looked around and I thought, oh my God, everyone is crushing it except for me. Oh my God. And I became the opposite of what is one of my greatest strengths. One of my greatest strengths, the ability to inspire and motivate people to get in action and stay in action for transformative change, it disappeared. I literally could not do anything. It was just paralyzing. Paralyzing. Absolutely debilitating. Absolutely debilitating. And so, but I showed up and I tried to have the smile and the look and the, but it was absolutely debilitating. Absolutely debilitating. Now, the, the the insane story generator that tells you that all of your successes were not due to you. How did you not hear that and be like, well, that's insane. I'm the one that's been crushing it all these years. So the reason why I didn't hear it is because I didn't understand that I had it. So the evolution of my thinking uh. and growth around understanding things like an insane story generator and an insane thought generator and getting in the flow, all of that came forth from the work that I've done around my own recovery journey. And so all I knew was I had literally been able to achieve and tackle everything in my life 
but this. You know, I was just listening to Rich Roll's podcast. You know Rich Roll? He's a ultra marathoner, and he was saying the same thing. He's He he was like way overweight and a terrible alcoholic, and he became a vegan, and now he wins ultra marathons. And the guy's story is crazy, but he said that same thing. He's like, I crushed law school. I crushed corporate law. I, Every, I crushed everything he everything, did. Everything he did. Except this one thing. I had no power over it. Right. So did you follow the classic... 12-step program? Did you do AA? Did you do, like, how is your recovery coaching now informed by the 12-step model? Like, how did you find your way out? And did that become what formed your practice now? Yeah, great, great, great question. So I was fortunate in that I was able to take about 18 months off and step away from work and go work on me. And through a combination of 12-step programs, some really phenomenal clinical programs. It was a team, Bronwyn. Wow. It wasn't just one thing, wow. right? Because this is a complex chronic disease, yeah, right? Is. And also experiencing some more pain and some more setbacks. I was able to finally start getting on a path moving forward and finally hit the wall one more time and then made it over the wall and that was five and a half years ago. Wow. I think that is so, I think it's so hopeful. Like I, I think back, I come from a long line of men in my family. My father, pretty much everybody before him had very, very serious drinking problems. Very serious. And I think of how they never quite won those battles. They sort of died with those diseases still pretty deeply holding them. And I think about the the tenacity it took and, and the willingness to step off of a very worn path of using alcohol to numb out or using alcohol for whatever you... So I feel like some of us have addictions because we are avoiding the thing that's calling us in our life creatively. And I think sometimes we... It, lean into our addictions because we're avoiding the void inside of us that we don't want to face. Which, what did you, what do you think about that? That's my. So, so here are a couple of things that we know. Like most chronic diseases, we don't have all of the answers of why someone crosses that line and goes from being a casual drinker, an occasional doing a drug or two, why someone crosses that line. And other people don't. And what we do know, though, and by the way, one other problem is when you approach that line, and I approach that line on numerous occasions, when you approach that line, there is no warning sign that says, danger. <laughs> if, you, if you do one more thing, you're going to step over the line. And so what happens is you step over the line and now you have this, can't stop. You've got this disease that you're wondering, Where'd how this in the come world, from? Where, how did I get more, how do I get back on that side of the line? Right. 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 And what we do know though, is that once you cross that line, here's what people do agree on. Mm -hmm. It's virtually impossible to go back, virtually impossible to go back, meaning to go back to being a normal drinker once or that line has been crossed a normal cocaine user or a, a normal, <laughs> you know those normal cocaine those users those normal cocaine users those normal 
<laughs> no, but I think, well, what's alarming about that, and and I've actually noticed this in myself, even with alcohol, you know, there's periods of my life where I won't have a drink for three weeks. Right. But then there's periods of my life where suddenly, like Pavlovian, <clears throat> if I'm chopping onions in the kitchen, I, I don't even know I've poured myself a glass of wine. It's so habitual. And I always look at that and I wonder, huh, is this how this happens? Like, is this, I'm not, that's not part of my story right now, but there were times where I was like, huh, this seems real habitual. Like, how do you know when you're getting close to the line, Ben? Well, you don't. And that's the, and that's the challenge. You don't know when you're getting close to the line. Just one day you cross the line and then all of a sudden the brakes stop working. So what had been the brakes for me around my career, I would do nothing to harm or sacrifice my career. All of a sudden, those things start happening. Those things start happening. Wow. And and it has nothing, you don't, it's nothing to do with your lessening, deprioritizing your career. It's that the addiction kicks in. Correct. And does that. Correct. Huh. Okay, so you you start to endanger your career. For other people listening, it might be that their family relationships are the thing that takes that final set of breaks off. Right. You go to rehab, you relapse within 72 hours. How the hell did you get back on track after that? I mean, that must have been a debil- like the shame of that, the pain and the terror. Right. How did you find your way back? So, what I am what I am grateful for, one of the things that I did here in that initial treatment experience that really stuck with me is we heal in community. Mm. And I am so grateful that that message landed with me because what I did is I went back to support groups Mm -hmm. and shared what had happened. And that was the beginning of the journey back. So can I ask you about that? Because I think the the parts of recovery and AA and everything I've read about it, what appeals to me most about that, that system and that structure is the honesty. It's like Glennon Doyle writes about this and I think a Love Warrior and some, some other things she's written, but she talked about how she finally went to an AA meeting and she's like, holy shit, people are finally telling the truth about the way it really is to be human walking around in these skin suits. She's like, finally. But then did you find like you leave community and then you're like, oh God, I got to go back to the bullshit where we're like, oh, how's your day? Like, did you find the change from like dead honesty and like realness to small talk at the grocery store? Like, was that an abrupt thing during recovery specifically? Well, it's tough. And here's one of the things that happens Mm -hmm. for for me Mm -hmm. and for many that end up in this situation is we become very disintegrated, meaning there was been the hotshot CMO, been the loving partner, been the great son, been the awesome friend, been the wild party animal. So part of what we do after we get stable and get a little bit of time away from our drug or substance of choice is we start focusing on integrity, the process of becoming whole. And I love that definition, the process of becoming whole. I can look back now and see one of the major challenges that I faced and one of the things that I had to get honest about is how disintegrated I was. All of these 
personas that I had. Yes. Yes. That I would take on and take off throughout the day. And I look back now and go, no wonder I did all the drugs. That I it's exhausting. You needed it. You it's needed exhausting. It. Yeah. It's exhausting, right? And back to the and earlier such, story. And, and were they such different? Like, was there a huge difference between like good son Ben and like, was it huge dis- disparate faces or were they all slight twists on the same main prism kind of thing no they were there there were some big major gaps differences there big major differences there by the way i couldn't even be honest and i love that you brought up honesty i couldn't even be honest about what i was doing i referred to it as i'm cutting loose yeah yeah i would literally disappear for a couple of days. I'm cutting loose. Letting off steam. Letting off steam. Cutting loose. Look at how hard I've worked and what I've done for so many people. Yeah, I'm going to cut loose for a little bit. Yeah, now right? it's me. Now it's me. And and actually this, the steam letting metaphor might be an apt one because to keep all of those personas fired up, that pressure cooker you know, cooks oh. the thing inside the thing. And you do have to eventually lift the goddamn lid off. Right. 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 So that integration in recovery, did they like, how do you, how do you freaking begin the process of breaking down the little divisions between Ben as X, Ben as Y, Ben as okay. Z? So I, I want to share, yeah. by the way, it took me seven years to get one year. Wow. So remember, I shared, I've been clean and sober now for just over five and a half years. Yeah. It took seven years to get that first year. Wow. So I would have periods of sobriety and then I would not. And by the way, this is a progressive disease. And every time it got worse, it never got better. So we can't lie to ourselves thinking it's going to get better if we're on that path. Finally, when I had a year and so many people who had seen me really struggle and nearly lose my life in the process said, what, how'd you get a year? What happened? And so I really began to reflect on that and I summed it up in three things. Number one is I got honest. Mm. And this takes us back to the honesty topic. Here's what I learned. Whatever I didn't share, I had this wall. Whatever I didn't share, anything outside of the wall, I would tell you about all day long. But whatever I didn't share, whatever I didn't get rigorously honest about with someone, it always would take me back out again. It was always the thing that would lead me back down a path of picking up alcohol and drugs. Was behind that wall. Was behind that wall. So in that first year, I just started to put everything out there and not hold back. That was number one. Number two is I had to learn to become a seeker. And really begin to believe, and this, by the way, is the beginning of what I term my spiritual awakening, and really begin to believe that there is something much bigger in the world 
than Ben Kiker. Yeah. Isn't that a relief? And not only is it a relief, I want to, so I want to share a quote from Richard Rohr. He is the director of the Center for Action and Contemplation, and he is a Franciscan, and I discovered him on this journey. And listen to what he wrote. Our soul's discovery is utterly crucial, momentous, and a pressing importance for each of us and for the world. Mm. Our soul's discovery. And what I had to do was really look to connect and dig and start doing work around that. And then the third thing that I did in that first year is I had to learn to let go. Ah, And that's where let go, and there it is, and that's where it is again. So those three elements, getting honest, becoming a seeker, having curiosity, which I know is another topic that you love, and letting go is what helped. And what's interesting is, here's what I've since learned. While those three elements were helpful for me getting over the wall that I kept hitting, Mm -hmm. I really appreciate now the broader utilization that they have on anything, not just when you're hitting the wall. Right. And oftentimes, so getting honest is great. I remember someone early on said to me when I kept hitting the wall, Ben, are you interested or are you committed in staying sober? Oh, God. That, that, That kind of stopped me in my tracks for a little bit. Are you interested or are you committed? The honest answer is I was interested in getting sober. I wasn't committed to staying sober. But now when I think of that question, how many meetings are you in when you just want to hit the pause button and stop and go, okay, question for everyone in the room. Are you interested (laughs) Interested or or are you committed? Can I just get a, can I just get a show of hands. Are you interested or are you committed? But I think to me, that's why whenever I can talk to somebody about a journey of recovery, I want to talk about it because to me, it's a proxy for every fucking other thing. Look, at you, some point- you, You're doing the, the hero's journey in this way. At some point, and at some point, we all hit the wall. That's right. We all hit the that's wall. That's it. So let me share another fun story with yeah, you. tell me. About- coming out, if you will, as an executive in recovery. It it, it didn't happen overnight. So last year, I was recording a video for my website and had a phenomenal production team and they're with me all day and we're getting all this great footage and there's been working out and there's been meeting with a client. And you kind of feel like a celebrity a little bit. Great, they're like following you around and you're doing an outfit change. It's like like going going to a share concert. Like, oh, there she goes again. She's changing and now she's coming back. So at one point, we're, we're sitting for an interview style approach and the gal is off camera asking me some questions. And somehow I start talking about hitting the wall. And and I said the following, at some point, we all hit the wall. It can be due to divorce. It can be due to death in the family, something that happens from a career perspective. In my case, it was the disease of addiction. And I literally said it in a way that was that natural and authentic. So they, of course, have captured gobs of footage from throughout the day and they do a magical job in getting this thing edited getting it tight that statement 
hitting the wall because the not surprising Braun one yeah. <laughs> remained in the video. Yeah. So I'm seeing it's all really the cuts. Fucking good. Because I'm seeing all the cuts of the video. Yeah. And then finally on a Friday, the gal that helps me with my website sent me a text message late in the day. Hey, everything's up and going. It's all live. Oh God. Like, oh my God, <laughs> oh, that God. video. I'm that out. video I'm is out. live. I'm out that video. And I started to freak out a little bit. And so a here's vulnerability what I did. hangover, as Brene Brown calls it. I oh, love her. I know. By I the know. way, I'm this obsessed. is so great because now I get to spend time with all these people and learning and growing. And Brene Brown and Eckhart Tolle. It's part and, of your work. And Martha Beck, oh, who, who I, huge heart, live huge heart, huge Martha heart. Beck. Martha, if huge you're listening, heart. we love you. And so late on a Friday. And I am definitely the insane thought generator, story generator, working overdrive. And I did the following. I'm tired. I don't make good decisions when I'm tired. And I'm going to hit the pause button and I'm going to go to bed. And I woke up the next morning and I felt free. Wow. And the video stayed. Oh, wow. So you weren't intending to come out as an executive in recovery until you saw that? It was kind of like the universe was like, Ben, we're doing this. <laughs> without without a doubt, without a doubt. You're and, doing this. And by the way, allow yourself all the work that you that you and I do and that we help others with, it's all to allow ourselves to be carried by the universe that way. Isn't that the let truth? Those, let those tailwinds yes. provide a little bit of support. You They're know, out there. I think They're that's right. There. And I think part of what makes us successful or anyone who's listening, you know, our, a lot of our successes come from the hustle. I am really good at showing up and kicking ass and like shining and do my thing. And then I go home and collapse. Right. But there's that that's only one of my inner like I have more inner asset. What do you call them? Inner assets? Resources. Inner resources. Hustle is not the only inner resource that's right. I have. That's right. And I have this other inner resource called I am a magical unicorn person and I vibrate amazing humans into my orbit. I've always done it. And sometimes I'm like, Bronwyn, like, can your hustler take a break for a minute? Because your inner unicorn would really like to bring some magic in right now. So I'm going to give one <laughs> other little coaching technique. Please. One of the easiest ways to do that is to look for moments of stillness throughout the day. Oh, moments of stillness. Moments of stillness yes. throughout the day. Yes. To let those other phenomenal kick-ass powerful resources surface surface that's it what's your favorite technique for like instant stillness button like i mean i know it's not instant stillness, but it could be like what do you what are your favorite little things you do so i have a couple okay uh first is prayer mm. and i want to say something about prayer and meditation for Please, a moment i had it on my list to ask you i think those are two of the most scariest words in the English language. Prayer often evokes for people some challenging memories and experiences. Let's be real about that for a moment. 100%. And meditation, we believe that we have to be some sort of classically trained, I've studied with monks for the last decade to be able to meditate. And I was recently working with a client and he sent me the photograph of this stunning view from his home in Lake Tahoe. And I said, I want you to stand up, walk to the window, and simply say, thank you. 
and then spend 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds if you can, absorbing all that you see. And just like that, you've prayed and you meditated. And you found stillness. And you found stillness. And you found a moment of stillness. So one of my techniques is to hit the pause button, which by the way, someone shared with me early on, Ben, you cannot hit the pause button too many times during the day. You need to hit the pause button a lot during the day. And it's true. It's, I well, do. It's true. It's due. I got to hit know, the pause button. You know, when I fall apart, Ben, I feel like I I do so well with my morning meditation and even my evening rituals pretty tight, although lately it's been a little sloppy, but everybody's sick in my house. But it's in transition. It's like when I crank through something awesome, like I, I had a great new business pitch this morning that went gangbusters. I'm super excited. I've got all these ideas. And I got off that and then I checked my email. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't stimulating enough. Now I got to go check Instagram. Oh, well, that that's not stimulating enough. What It's almost like I go off the rails in between flow sessions. Like when I'm, when I know, okay, Bronwyn, now you're flowing. I'm like right there and I'm cranking. But once that flow session is over and there's that little liminal phase between point A and point B, that's when I completely fall off. What? Can't find my stillness. What made it such a great pitch? What made it such a great pitch was that it's people. I gave a keynote at their big sales kickoff last year. It was like 600 people. It was, they were just my, they were my people. And I crushed, I got the first standing ovation oh. of my career in the largest audience I've ever had. And it was the first talk I'd given. I lost one of my dearest friends of 30 plus years. I remember that. Christmas day. Oh. And as I'm getting off the plane and getting into my house from his funeral, my dad died. I mean, it was and it was like 25, I can't tell you how brutal it was. And so maybe you felt, in fact, I'm curious if, if this echoes for you at all, but that period of grief and of wall hitting for me was so disorienting. And I had this huge keynote I had to give. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm the same person I was. Dece January, December 24th, I was Bronwyn. January 18th, I don't know what that sounds like or looks like anymore. And I was like, well, I can be of service and this is the stuff I know how to do. So I'm going to go out and do it. And it was like the best I've ever done. So to answer your question, it was because they already know me. They already like what I do. But also because we had this shared space of brainstorm, creativity, enthusiasm, and a deep desire to lift this audience up and give them something to really dance to. So what I'm going to encourage you to do... Yes is the next time yes. that you have a pitch like that uh -huh. and you walk out and you know, you feel, God, that was great. Yes. I want you to take a moment or two and absorb that into you and reflect on the very question that I just asked. What made that so good? What made that so good? What made that so good? Absorb the positive. You're right. Bring that in. Let that be what you do in the transition from that pitch meeting to the next meeting or the next call or the next activity that you're going to. That is so beautiful. In fact, in this meditation course I've been doing for ages with Carrie Ann Moss, of all people, she's just an amazing meditation teacher. Anyway, 
she was talking about how in the Kundalini yoga tradition, they teach you meditations for absorbing joy because our nervous systems actually have a hard time observing, absorbing the positive. Right. And I'm like, that's right. One that of the, is true. One of the biggest challenges for people in early recovery is to expand their capacity for the positive. Oh my God, you're because, kidding. No, think about it for a moment. When we're in the middle of the disease, we are really good and really talented at dealing with and managing all of the crap that we are generating. We build very good resiliency for all this shit. And so when we get stable, get a little bit of time, start doing the work, and start experiencing positive things, it can be incredibly uncomfortable. What, wait, what, what is what this? Is what, this what, what am I, I, what, what are we doing? And it can be so uncomfortable that it can cause someone to say, I got to pick back my thing of choice. I got to go back to the drug, the drink, the, the, the I can't handle this. And that's just because the this. discomfort of the unknown or what is that? It's building the, building the expansive container for life getting full and interesting again. Yeah, because I feel like there's that side of us that something really good happens and we think, oh, well, something terrible is about to happen. And I'm not going to enjoy this because... You it, know. It's fleeting. It's not going to last. Yeah. I don't deserve it. Yeah. Remember, there's a lot of shame and guilt early on, right? Shame, I am bad, guilt, I did, right? A lot of shame and guilt with people in early recovery because the other thing that happens is you start realizing, I got a lot of stuff I got to clean up. I got a lot of stuff I got to clean up. And that's daunting. And it's daunting. But I love the idea of, in fact, I'm, I'm going to take away from this conversation many things, but I love the idea of transitioning by living in the joy of whatever the thing was that went well. That's or the right. thing that I at least accomplished, even if I didn't like do a perfect job. So, so many, what I find is so many clients that I work with only half absorb positive feedback. Oh, preach, Ben. <laughs> this is the source of the imposter this, syndrome. Is this, is the, I, I, thought, I thought that we would be going to an area yes. that you get. Yes. And so I'll ask a client, tell me about, X meeting, X pitch, X interaction, what are you doing? And and I'll get this sort of very, well, th then they said this good thing. And then it's almost like they just dismiss it and move on. Went, whoa, 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 whoa. Go whoa. back. Whoa, 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 what? Let, let's rewind back the tape. And so many folks have a hard time. We, we often only half absorb it, right? Yeah. We sort of take a little bit of it in, but then we push it away. Yeah. And then we go on to... The other things that we need zero to go to on to. Zero to zero. Yeah. Yeah, that's like when I was talking, whenever I talk about the imposter syndrome, how the research showed that it's an inability to process your success. And so I will, like, if I go and I give, like, after that great experience I had with those people, I took myself out from Manny Petty and I was like, Bronwyn, you're knitting that success into your DNA because you you need that confidence it's battery power for the next time you get in front of an audience. It, it is. You are, you are fueling the tank. Right. You are fueling the tank. Yeah. You're fueling the tank. Okay. So just to close out, though, here's what I want to ask. Oh. Who should be considering working with a recovery coach, Ben? Is it somebody that's already been through rehab? Is it somebody that's already on the path? Or is it somebody that's like, I might have a problem 
but I'm not sure. And maybe it's not alcohol. Do you do recovery coaching for like social media or pornography or whatever the seven sins are these days? Absolutely. So how how do you know? that you might want to call a Ben Kiker type person. <laughs> Who are you going to call? So, so a couple of things. I, I do, I often work with clients who, like me many years ago, are leaving a treatment program and returning, as I like to say, leaving the bubble of treatment and returning to the bubble of their life. You and I live in a bubble. And it can be very challenging, as it was for me, to try to blend those two bubbles together, right? So that's often a client will work with me or engage with me. Uh, Another person that might work with me, I actually do a lot of coaching with people who have been sober for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And like working with an executive coach, a performance coach who understand recovery Because part of their foundation, they get that without recovery, all of this goes away. All of it goes away without recovery. So they may be sober for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and they need help with something, and they like working with a coach that gets that world, that gets that world. There's that great coaching act. I don't remember who said this, but they said you can only take other people as far as you've gone yourself. And there are people that need to know that the person that's coaching them has walked through the fire. Transformed people transform people. And Martha Beck. It's true. Let me weave in a quick Martha Beck. Let's weave in a hundred Martha Beck (laughs) messages. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. So I became aware of her when I read an interview with her two years ago. And she said the following, whatever your Helen back is, is your gift. And it was one of those statements, Bronwyn, that when I read it, I I, literally, everything stopped. Everything stopped when I read that. Whatever your Helen back is, that's your gift. And I love that line. It's incredible. As you know, I went to see her at 1440... Multiversity. Someday I'm going. Someday I'm going. Love that place. Every time and I get their catalog, I sit like a kid. Like I wonder if someday I'll get to go to this thing. <laughs> it is. It is amazing. Maybe we'll be teaching there together someday. I would love that. I, I mean, would welcome that. So one last line of questions, and then I know we have to go because you've got. I mean, it's ah, I'm I'm running over time here. Last thing. For somebody who's listening, who's never worked with an executive coach, who's never been to recover, may not need it, but who, for whom this conversation is resonating, what is the one thing that they can do tomorrow to just live better, to get more done, to live a richer, deeper life? One thing. One thing. Mm -hmm. Here it is. Remember the following. Today is Monday and all I have to do and all you have to do is Monday. Oh, that is so good. Today is Monday, and all I have to do is Monday. It is shocking, Bronwyn. And just be attuned for this tomorrow morning, which will be Tuesday. It is shocking when I get up in the morning. A client once described it to me this way. Ben, I have to de-hamster in the morning. (laughs) What headquarters 
sins down in the morning. <laughs> it's crazy. For me to ponder and to reflect on and to look at, the vast majority of it has nothing to do with today. It's so true. It has nothing to do with today. It has something to do with last Monday, the Monday that it believes is going to happen two months from now, a Monday that happened five years from now. So the single biggest technique that someone can use Mm. starting tomorrow, starting to single biggest technique is remember today is Monday and all you and I have to do is Monday. Isn't that freeing? It's the best. Don't you feel lighter right now? Don't you feel lighter from that? And I feel like Poor Monday really deserved more air, more of my airtime. Like Monday has been a great day. Like, it's been an awesome day. Did for I me. give Monday all of the love I could have given it when I woke up this morning? Well, I had my beautiful morning ritual this morning, so I actually did right by Monday. But I want to make sure I give Tuesday what she deserves too. Absolutely. So I think love about that. that tomorrow morning I when love you get that. up. Today is Tuesday. All I got to do it's is Tuesday. Tuesday. And when I hold that to be true, and I recognize that. It allows me to do the following. It allows me to focus on meaningful relationships, meaningful experiences, and meaningful work in that order always. Oh my God. That, my friends, you might want to skip 30 seconds back and just roll that one through again. Ben, you're amazing. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you, Thank you. All you have to do is Monday. Isn't that the best? I hope you dug this as much as I did. I'm taking so many different things with me, but my insane story generator and my insane thought generator at the opposite end of my table, where at the other end of the table are sitting my external resources and internal resources, that metaphor is already so helpful, as is the flow ritual, as is just realizing that there are other oars in the water but mine. I mean... I want you to think about what from that conversation you'll take with you into the week and start applying it and tell me, because I love hearing from you guys. And with that, I wish you a beautiful week. I wish you simple gratitude for everything that life is offering you at the moment. And I'll see you next time. Shine on, you crazy holiday diamonds. See you soon. (laughs) 